Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 13, Emily. Mary, what happened this week? It's hell week for the kegs and the alphas, and the upperclassmen have lots of ideas of how to humiliate their baby pledges. Steve suffers through push-ups, learning inane facts about his brothers, and putting up having... Or, blah, blah, let me try that one again. <laughs> Steve suffers through push-ups, learning inane facts about his brothers, and putting up with having John be his specifically assigned asshole to make his life suck for a week. John makes Steve do 20 push-ups while also singing the alphabet song in the middle of campus. Later, Steve wears a dress and hands out copies of photos of himself in that dress. But that isn't all. John and Keith tell Steve he has to steal a baseball autographed by Jackie Robinson from Professor Randall's office. Steve doesn't want to do it because you know that whole Legacy K thing at West Bev, but does it anyway because brothers, I guess. He gets caught by campus security. Did you want me to keep going or do you want to talk about that now? No, that's perfect. Yeah, okay. I realized after I asked, I was like, we should specify. We're changing it up and we're just going to talk about each different person as their things happen. But yeah, Steve, I don't know what made me most mad about Steve's storyline. Okay. Like, I, I mean, I guess it's the legacy key of them being just like, yeah, we know you almost got kicked out of high school for doing exactly this thing, basically. So we're just going to make you do it again. Or the part where they made him dress as a girl and then came and sexually harassed him in the middle of campus while he had to hand out pictures of himself. <laughs> yeah. Like, none of it was really, like, that bad, like, based on what I've heard about fraternity hazing and, like, the quote-unquote cruel and unusual punishment that Steve refers to in the beginning. But, like, I think I did write down at some point, and I'll find it, where I was, like, because this was when, at the very end, when Steve, like, is dressed in drag and all the rest of the friends are there and they're just, like, casually making fun of him, right? Like, they're just riffing on him and ragging on him and all that stuff. But then, like, John shows up and I'm like, hold on. How is John, gr like, as gross with Steve as dressed up as a woman as he is with actual women? That was the thing that got me. Like, at first, I was like, it's a little weird that, like, the joke here is, like, men that, you know, identify as men dressing as women and, like, getting made fun of. Like, that's a little, like, iffy in this time. But it was kind of funny when, you know, David and Dylan were just like, man, it must be a drag being in a fraternity, Steve. Did right. you get it? Right. Because that's just, like, a good pun. Yeah. But then, like, literally – uh, I think the other guy's name is Keith. I finally wrote it down this time. Keith and John show up and just start, like, pulling up his dress. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. You just stop it. Yeah. I mean, it just shows that, like, John is gross. Keith is an asshole. Like, th like these spades are, in fact, spades. And they don't change regardless of what's in front of them. And then you even see brand new president kind of being a dick, too. Because he's the one making them do the push-ups at the beginning. And they're like, isn't this, like, isn't hazing illegal? And he just throws a cup at somebody. It's <laughs> yeah. just like, shut up, Pledge. Yeah. And, like, 
you know, sure, he's the president, so maybe he has to, like, do it so that they can just be done with it. And honestly, if they just make them do push-ups the whole time and that's their hell week, like, that's really not that bad. Like, Steve's fit. He can do 20 push-ups at a time. Like, not a big deal. But, yeah, then it's like you you don't really have to worry about keg president guy. You have to worry about the assholes like Keith and John. Yeah, when they were in, like, the student union and he was smiling and so John was like, drop and give me 20. I was just like, Steve can do 20 push-ups. Yeah. Like, he definitely did more than 20 push-ups because he did some push-ups counting. And then John made him start reciting the alphabet. So he did more push-ups. And then he made him sing the rest of it. So it's like, there's 26 letters in the alphabet. He definitely did more than 26 push-ups. I actually forgot to count. And then the scene was over. And I was like, I wonder how many push-ups he really did. Yeah. I didn't go back. I mean, either. But yeah, realistically, like he can do 20 to 25, 26 push-ups, no problem. And then I do feel like, especially when he was walking around campus, like I'll never not love Steve in his little short shorts. Oh, yeah. He, he's an asshole, <clears throat> but the boy has good legs. <laughs> but yeah, and then like all this stuff with, you know, the push-ups, wearing a dress is a pain in the ass, but like that's not that bad. Like as long as everyone is in on it, I feel like it's kind of okay. If that makes yeah. sense. I don't know. It's like, maybe this is just because it's like 2021 now. And when I see a, a person who identifies as a man dressed in a dress, I just don't think it's all that weird. And like, I will admit, like this isn't the first and certainly won't be the last show that shows a guy dressed in drag. Like, whether it was actually a guy dressing purposely in drag, or it was like the, um, I think it was called the Chick Like Me episode of Boy Meets World, where Sean and Corey mm -hmm. dress up as women to, like, prove a point. And then also later in Boy Meets World, when Jack and Eric dress up like women. Um, and I don't remember the purpose, but I do remember that there's like a mob person involved or something or like a gang member or something. And he took a liking to Jack and said that he was a pretty woman. And then Eric got offended. <laughs> yeah, he's got because they like caught that guy doing like gambling or something. And so they created their own like wit sec program and made themselves dress as women. And I, yeah, I just remember Eric being like, why does no one find Eric pretty? <laughs> yeah. And then somebody else, I forget who it was, called her be called him beautiful. And he was like, did you just say I'm beautiful? <laughs> and I started crying. I feel, like, I feel like that was Topanga. Oh, yes, it was. It was definitely because Topanga didn't realize it was Eric <laughs> and went to talk to Eric outside because <laughs> he was crying. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, that's the thing. It's like maybe I'm just desensitized to it because there's nothing really to, like, be sensitized to in the first place. I, I don't know. I mean, I can understand, I guess, like older generations being like, what? That's so embarrassing. Or like toxic men being like, oh, my God, I would never like whatever. But it just doesn't really phase me. And I think that's the whole thing. Like, I'm not phased by that. I'd be like, you know, upset if someone took offense to it. And I'd be like, no, I totally get where you're coming from to take offense from it. But I think, right. you know, at least in this scenario, like this is not when it comes to hazing, like this is not that bad. 
especially yeah. considering the next thing they make him do is break into a professor's office to steal a baseball. Yeah, like none of the hazing is illegal, um, unethical, immoral, none of those things. But then, yeah, it's like when they decide to like, oh, now Steve has to actually like break in to somebody's office, like a professor, and steal a prized possession that's like presumably worth a lot of money because it's Jackie Robin's signature. That's when it becomes wrong, at least in terms of like law. <laughs> and okay, I was thinking about this. Why wouldn't he just go to Professor Randall's office hours and just be like, hey, can I borrow this for a day? I mean, yes, totally agree. But let's be real. We all know Steve isn't the brightest crayon in the box. Oh, no. And like, that makes me even more mad because he's going to have a super shitty GPA, a super shitty permanent record from having done this in high school and now he's doing it again in college and he got like arrested by campus police so he can actually have a criminal record now Mm -hmm. and somehow he's gonna get away with it oh totally because like guaranteed you know who's gonna save him right brandon's gonna come back from his little tour to emily and save the day by going to professor randall and telling him what a good guy Steve is. And come on, man, he's my best friend. He didn't know what he was doing, like whatever. And then he's going to get him out of whatever campus jail is, or if it's real jail, or if it's literally just in bad water or hot water with Professor Randall. And it's all going to be fine because Brandon's there. Either that or he's going to talk to Lucinda to talk to Professor Randall about his friend Steve. Yep. And he's going to bang her to do it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. These episodes just write themselves. <laughs> and yeah, like as soon as you said, I can hear Steve being like, you dog, you saved me and you got the girl. I'm like, no. yeah, everything comes up Brandon always. So yeah, that's what's going to happen. Oh God. It just, it, it feels so much like. Just Steve is such a privileged character and he's pissing me off so much. Very much so. Like even, I mean, oh, I will say though, at the end when he like actually goes in to take the baseball and the guy tries to like arrest him. Also when the guy was like spread him and Steve just like stuck his arms out a little bit. I was like, I don't think that's what he meant. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Steve, come on. You've been arrested before. Like (laughs) you know what it means. But, like, Ian Ziering's face, he has so many, like, emotions going through his face. And I was like, we could do so much more with this character than just, like, drunk frat boy. And, again, it's like, I'm not always attracted to Steve. But at times, I am. Like, when he wears the short shorts, when he wears the tiny tank top, when he wears a backwards black baseball cap. For some reason, I was like, man, Steve, you look good. (laughs) Yeah. It just works. I don't get it. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, no, because truly, in real life, I would have nothing to do with Steve Sanders. Yeah. In fake life, I'm just like, God, just just walk <laughs> past me a few more times. <laughs> you know what's crazy? So I watched one episode of the, like, reboot or whatever, the new, new reboot with the actual character or actors, and Ian and Jenny Garth looked the absolute best like Ian was like all jacked and like 
he looked very, very good looking. And so did Jenny Garth. But like, it's just so crazy how he and she have aged the best. And they're absolutely the two. Well, besides Luke Perry, ugh, he would be the most attractive person if he were still with us today. But it's so funny how they're probably the two most attractive people on the show currently. And to this day, they're still the most attractive people of that cast. Besides Celeste, but we can't include her because she wasn't in the reboot that I know of. I know. I I look forward to the day that I feel like I can watch the reboot and, like, not have a bunch of massive spoilers brought True. to me. Like, I'm trying so hard to just not have everything be spoiled. Yeah. Well, you're doing a good job. I mean, considering the show's been out, like, 30 years, I think you're doing great. Both of you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the end of – Steve's story he actually like Mm -hmm. really didn't do all that much I did love that he had to go get a dress and so he called Kelly and Donna and were like do you guys have a dress that'll fit me and then somehow they had something and I'm sorry no yeah everything Donna owns is form-fitting yeah (laughs) yeah I think I wrote down let me find it in my notes like whenever he went over there um to get that dress I was like I'm sorry whose of Kelly or Donna's was this dress <laughs> because right? Steve is like 6'2 six, 6'3 six, and like you know filled out in the chest and shoulders and Kelly and Donna are teeny teeny tiny and maybe like 5'6 five, 5'7 five, max it's David's <laughs> <laughs> they're about the same size yeah oh and then when they're like sitting around while he has to stand there in the dress later and he's like this is really embarrassing and Kelly's like you look really good and Donna's like that's because he's wearing my lipstick (laughs) yeah but yeah Donna take your credit where credit is due like I really loved that part because he makes all these comments of like this is really embarrassing and they're just like making jokes and just being like no man you look so good honestly I feel like that's very realistic to how people actually are especially like women when when like guys feel embarrassed or guys feel silly I really actually feel like girls especially if they're like your close friends girls are really good at making like giving you some confidence and and kind of like making fun of you but it's not making fun of you because it's actually like kind of boosting you a little bit and I feel like that was like really realistic actually Mm -hmm. no I mean like quite literally up until the part where they make him steal the baseball and John Sears is just like, he's a wimp. He's not going to do it. Like up until that moment in the Steve story, I was totally fine with it. Cause even Keith, like right before John says that is like, man, Sanders is a really cool guy. Yeah. Right. And he's even like, you know, he's uh, I forget what he actually says. He's like, he's maybe he does say he's cool. And then, John's like, no, he's a wimp. Like, and clearly it's just because he's threatened by him or whatever. But but yeah, it's like this Keith dude, he's probably starting to think, I might be an asshole, but maybe I don't need to be such an asshole to Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, John, that's a good point that I don't think we've really brought up yet is like John is definitely threatened by Steve. Because Steve even says at some point that he won't quit all this hazing because he can't quit the fraternity or John Sears will win. Right, right. Which is also like, so on brand for like teenage boys at least in like media of being like I can't quit then he wins Mm -hmm. yeah there is no high road it's just the competition yeah which I understand I don't like people winning we played Mortal Kombat last night for way longer than we should have and John just kept kicking my ass and like leveling up further and further and further and getting stronger and I was like I refuse to lose 
Like, <laughs> I have to beat you once. That's amazing. I never beat him. I used to do that with me and my um, my childhood friend, Jared. We So we hung out, like, all the time. And I always had, because, of course, I did, uh, like, a mini, you know, those little, like, basketball hoops you can put over your closet door. Mm-hmm. Had one of those in my bedroom. And we would play like horse or pig or whatever in my bedroom and with the little basketball goal. It was like such a small thing, but one of the most fun things we used to do. And he would beat me nearly every time, like so much to the point where I was like, no, stand here and like (laughs) just shoot straight on. And I promise I will beat you. And then when I finally did, I was like, oh, now I can do all these trick shots and I can beat you. And then, yeah, it was always like, no, we're going to play until I win. And then we're going to play until I win again. (laughs) Yeah. No, like, we just kept playing. I was like, I just have to beat you. And, like, the Mortal Kombat XL that's on the PlayStation, like, it's got interactable stuff. And John was like, how do you keep doing that? And I was like, I won't tell you. It's on the screen. It's, like, right there on the screen. And I was like, no, I'm not telling you how I do it. (laughs) Keeping it to myself. Like, you want to win? You do your research. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Anyway, Mary, who else are we talking about this week? Kelly isn't mad at Brenda about Thanksgiving, and she is giving up on Dylan until she has to kiss him while wearing a robe, cold cream, and a shower cap. Thanks, Hell Week. Brenda has her first rehearsal for the play, Mask of Melancholy, that starts tomorrow, apparently. Here, she sees the script apparently for the first time and realizes she's supposed to take her clothes off to bear the soul of mankind or some shit. She pretends to be okay with it, but tries to make sure nobody she knows comes to the performance. She confesses to Kelly why she's so worried about it. Dylan finds out about the play and makes sure Jim and Cindy know it's happening. They get seats together in the very front row. Brenda sees them there and panics. The show happens. The play is really stupid, and the audience agrees. When the time comes, Brenda unties her robe to reveal a little black dress. She struggles to remove it, only to reveal another little black dress under that one. She adds a bunch of lines that make the audience laugh. After the show, Pablo gets understandably mad at her for changing his work at the very last second. Then he's like, do it that way tomorrow, too, because what are consequences? <laughs> so well, many funny things about this situation. <laughs> I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I love her literally being like, oh, yeah, I've got cast in a play next week. And it's like, apparently, it's start rehearsals start on Monday and then they start the play on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that's a very short turnaround time to be off book. It didn't, like, yeah, it didn't make any sense. Like, just last week, Brenda got cast. So, like, even if the script was ready at that point, Brenda would have only had a, probably a week or so max to learn it. But, like, it doesn't seem that way because, like Mary said, they have a rehearsal and it's like Brenda learns for the first time that she has to take her clothes off. <laughs> I know. I'm so curious of just, like, how much he actually gave everyone when he cast this play in the first place. Cause, you know, I have to think they maybe got like a scene to read from after you know monologues or whatever right this was not big enough to justify doing like an actual audition process but like why Wednesday why not Friday like they specifically say Wednesday right I'm not crazy no they said Wednesday yeah 
Yeah. And so presumably, yeah, it's Monday that she gets the script and she goes to rehearsal where she finds out she's going to be naked. And then she goes to Pablo and is like, I don't really want to do this. And he's just like, it's art. Which also is super gross that he's just like, no, you have to get naked because art. Right. Like, Then you got to know that like if there was an audition process and Pablo was the one making the call, like he was the one that was like, yeah, you're the person I want taking off her clothes in front of everybody. Yeah, he like tells her that explicitly. He's like, I chose you for this because bullshit reasons about talent when really (laughs) it's just like. I decided you are the body that I want to look at today. Ooh. I know. It was so gross. Yeah. (laughs) Things are pretty gross in this episode. It's really weird. And then she tells Kelly that she's supposed to get naked, and Kelly's like, oh, well, are you going to do it? And she's like, well, God, what did she say? Picasso chopped his ear off or whoever that was? Bingo. Bingo. Thank you. Which, not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, the dude was, like, heavily, heavily, severely depressed. <laughs> Very different. Yeah, he wasn't like, I'm going to chop my ear off for my art. How does that even work? It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> but, yeah, then apparently, like, everyone finds out about this play. And Dylan's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm totally going to be there tonight. And then he goes and gets pre-play dinner at the Peach Pit and runs into Jim and Cindy, which makes – so much like I think that was probably the best thing about this episode is how Jim and Cindy found out about the play like in this part of it because it makes no sense that they would find out any other way than just like happening upon the information that's true that's a good point because like if Brenda knew she was going to take her clothes off which she did there's no way in hell she was going to tell Jim and Cindy but she had presumably already told them that she was going to be in a play and she was a lead so they just didn't know and were probably just waiting on her to tell them when the play actually was <laughs> and she doesn't because she's smart and then yeah Dylan walks in and is like hey pals I'm about to go to Brenda's show and they're like what? <laughs> it's tonight? Oh my well, gosh so good. Who expects a play is going to be on a Wednesday? True very true I also really love when they're in the peach pit and they're talking about Brandon and Jim just throws out a line where he goes, he better be back or he's paying for his tuition next semester. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, right, Jim. You would never let your baby boy Brandon do that. I know, right? Like, don't say things you don't mean, Jim. You say what you mean and you mean what you say, Jim. Then, yeah, they all go and they all sit like really close together. Like, I think it was like Jim and Cindy – And Dylan and Andrea are in the front, and then everybody else is in the row right behind them. And when they get to the part that she's supposed to take off her robe, like, every single facial expression was, like, pure gold. (laughs) Like, Kelly sitting behind them being like, she's really going to do it. She's really going to take her clothes off. And Jim being like, what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean – David makes a gross comment because, of course, it's David. He's like, oh, well, this pledge suddenly got better or something like that. Nothing would have made me happier than just, like, everyone else in the group turning around and slapping him. Like, Jim being like, that's my daughter. Right? He said it within earshot. Homie, read the room. This is, like, this is just more evidence that, like, Jim and Cindy don't actually give a shit about Brenda. 
Nope. Never have, never will. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then when Jim leans over to Cindy and he's like, is it just me or is this play really bad? And she's like, Shh, Jim, it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good delivery uh, by our pal Cindy there. No, like this was a really weird and like kind of gross thing that happened with her little play and like the question of whether or not she'd get naked on stage but it actually I feel like because of everybody around it it gets executed really well and then her like struggling to take the dress off to show another little dress underneath and she's like well why should I be naked when I have lingerie right I mean she makes lemonade out of lemons here but I was like I I made one comment at a certain point in my notes because you could have easily seen it where they did have her take off her clothes, but they show her, from, you know, like her her bare back from behind or whatever. Um, and I wrote down, I was like, well, we certainly have come very, very far from shaming Brenda for having sex with a boy to having her be fully nude on stage in front of all of her family, friends, and strangers. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was really wondering at first, like – you know, because you could see, like, her bare arms and everything underneath the robe. And I was like, is she just ha- wearing, like, a nude bodysuit and, like, she's going to take it off, but then, like, it just looks like her skin tone? Yeah. But no, it, make- it makes so much more sense that they were just like, no, no, she will still be wearing clothes. Right. And because it's Brenda and we know she's good with comedy, it makes sense that they would then make her turn it into something comedic, especially because the play apparently was just so bad. Um, So it makes sense. I thought the background laughter was a bit much. Like, just have the cast laugh. Right? (laughs) You don't need all the, like, weird chuckles from various people that aren't there. And, like, there was some weird um, people said stuff, too. Like, I forget what they said, but people said words. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, why? I also, I have no idea if this means anything. I only just thought of it now that we're talking. But, like, I feel like there's tons of rumors around this show that Shannon Doherty would, like, go change her makeup or change her wardrobe or, like, change her hair in between getting set up for – a scene and then actually shooting it and I wonder if somebody wrote this in to be like we know what you're doing (laughs) we see it we're gonna make you do what you do normally but on purpose (laughs) it'll be very meta you'll love it (laughs) (sighs) I choose to believe that they're that smart sometimes they truly seem like it and then other times it's like guys it was right there in front of you. Like, if if you were in a room with four walls and one door, you wouldn't know how to, you still wouldn't know how to get out of the room. Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so then after the play and like people li- like the end of it, um, Pablo pulls her aside and is, like Mary said, rightfully mad that she just in the very middle of the play was like, I'm going to change this up and not do what was in the script. I mean, whether or not it was appropriate for her to take off her clothes and for him to that to be the direction in the first place is a different story. But it was there. They practiced it. They rehearsed it. That was the direction. And she just, like, totally changed it and didn't tell anybody or anything. Like, thank goodness that was the end or supposed end 
of the play or else the other guys would probably be like um do I change my stuff (laughs) (laughs) should I take my clothes off now yeah I think my favorite part is that scene happened on page seven so this was literally just a seven page play (laughs) (laughs) and depending on how many actors were in the play it could have literally just been like one page and like five lines because like the way you space it out could easily be super, super short depending on how many people are in it. I I really choose to believe that this play, like if you could just read it off the page would only take like 15 minutes, but because of how bad the dialogue was, it's actually like an hour and a half long. Can you imagine? No. I really can't. And like the (laughs) idea that you'd have to say it multiple times as an actor. Yeah. No. Um, And I think the only other thing that really happens in this part that Mary kind of touched on was that at the very beginning of the episode, they're talking about how it's hell week for all the Greeks while they're sitting in the peach pit and they're making, you know, comments of like Andrea and Brenda being like, so glad I didn't join a sorority. And then they kind of touch on the fact that, Kelly's late and she's been in a mood and maybe it's because Dylan went to the Walsh's instead of the Taylor's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I kind of wrote that down. I started typing it out and then she shows up. So I was like, Oh, just kidding. She just, she's just late. And then what I loved. And then again, this is again where the writers were like great and didn't make it about the love triangle and make it about Dylan. And like, I literally was just like, oh, look at these ladies being mature best friends and understanding that they're not mad at each other over Dylan. It was just the situation. Like, that was great. Like, Kelly immediately was like, hey, Brenda, by the way, the whole thing at Thanksgiving, I know that wasn't you. It was all Dylan. Like, you had nothing to do with it. Like, whatever. And Brenda's like, oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's all good. And I'm like, great (laughs) this is great (laughs) I know I was so ready for it to be like a whole thing and then it just wasn't and I was like oh my god they're just being little best friends this is what we love to see you love to see Brenda and Kelly being best friends you love to see it you love to see it (laughs) and then yeah the only thing we see for hell week for the alpha people is Kelly and Donna have to walk around campus in like the cold cream, the shower caps, and the robes, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is so embarrassing!" But like, was it really right? I was gonna say one last thing. I did also love because I'm loving this little the Beverly Hills foursome or whatever Fab Fantastic Four, or whatever they call <laughs> them. Um, because like this is one of the first times that like Andrea has a guy problem or a guy thing to talk about that she needs advice from her fellow friends and I just I just kind of like that I'm like oh finally like you love advice and girl talk at the peach pit it's just it's adorable and I love it oh I I cannot wait to talk about Andrea and her whole thing same well that is what's next so Andrea wears her best Velma cosplay to break up with Dan She hasn't been answering his calls or listening to his messages. Dan rewinds the tape on her answering machine to play them for her, but here's a message from Jesse inviting her to watch him play softball. Dan says some racist shit, but racism isn't racism if you're in love or something. 
Andrea, for someone who has never broken up with anyone before, does a pretty good job at it, honestly. Andrea goes to the park with Jesse to play softball and learns he goes to UCLA, but also went to Yale. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Also, when she says, like, she has that face for Yale, and he's like, what? And she's like, it's a long story. It's like, no, it's not. You got into Yale and then didn't go to Yale because you were worried everyone would make fun of you for being poor. Right. Done. End of story. Oh, my gosh. No, I have so much to say about this because, like, yeah, they had Thanksgiving together on Thursday. And, you know, I'm just going to guess that most of everything with Dan happens on Monday. Right. So it's been, like, three days that she hasn't answered him. He's called her six times which is way too many for three days. Yeah. And then when he, like, goes into her room, he's like, six messages. You might try listening to them once in a while. And And then then just walks over there to play it. Well, and yeah, then the one from Jesse plays, and he says, and I quote, Vasquez, what is this, some kind of equal opportunity program? And then (laughs) when she gets mad at him, he says, also, and I quote, don't accuse me of racism. We're going out together. We're sleeping together. That's like me okay. saying That's like me saying don't accuse me of being racist. My favorite foods mashed potatoes. <laughs> like <But> really? <laughs> it's just like I have sex with you. I'm not racist. Like what? What is I don't the two are not mutually exclu- exclusive, and even if they were, what's the point? <laughs> I know, like, none of it makes sense, and he was being so mean to her, and, like, you know, that's basically, I don't think I've liked Dan this whole time, and, like, he said some weird-ass stuff mm-hmm. repeatedly, but he makes this so hard for her to just be like, I don't want to date you anymore. Yeah. And, like, sorry, dude, it's been, like, two months. That's the thing, it's, like... Dan is supposed to be this older, more mature college guy, right? Like, he's a grad student who's an RA. Like, there's there should be some air of, like, maturity involved here. Andrea is way more mature, and she's the one that lost her virginity to, virginity to him and is a first-year college student. Like, I know in real life she's very old, and we always make jokes about that, but... <laughs> In the show, she is still 18 and very impressionable. And the fact that she can, like, handle this situation, like, just miles, miles better than Dan can, it's just, it's too much. I mean, it's only been, like, a couple of months. He already has said I love you, which I understand, but that's more high school than college. Like, once you get to college, like, presumably, not everybody does this, and, and it's no judgment either way, but presumably a lot of people start to date seriously it's it's you know you might have your flings and your hookups and like you date a lot of people at once but it's like the whole like saying I love you really early shouldn't be happening anymore um and then yeah like that that's even that's like the smallest of all the issues because the biggest issues is that he's a big fat racist and he's like really really rude to Andrea all of the time and now there's a pattern last episode I was like okay, maybe he's in a mood because he's nervous about bringing Andrea home for Thanksgiving with the whole chess stuff and, like, call, like telling her she overthinks everything and blah, blah, blah. 
But now it's a pattern because he, like, talked down to her about not listening to her messages and then says a racist comment about a guy that called her and then tries to, like, pull the whole we're sleeping together so that means you need to stay with me and not talk to other men. Like, what is that about? Well, and don't forget, like, I think it was even one of the first times that we met him that he was like, oh, that sorority just wants you because you're Jewish. Right. Like, Dan's a dickhead. Like, Dan is the kind of racist that, like, I just had a thought in my head. He's, like, the kind of guy that, like, oh, I got it. He's the kind of racist that tries to tell you not everything is about race, but constantly makes everything about race. Now, he, like, keeps turning all this shit back on her and being like, this is your fault. Like, yeah. I just, oh, I hate him. And, like, I want him to, I'm so glad that she broke mm-hmm. up with him. Like, I'm so glad he's going to be gone. Same. Ugh. But then, like, the whole story doesn't necessarily improve because she goes to the park to meet up with Jesse while he's playing softball or baseball or whatever. And he makes a comment of, like, why are you going out with me? And then makes a comment that she's a nice Jewish girl from Beverly Hills. Weird. (laughs) But then he responds with, I've gone out with white guys, black guys. I even dated a Republican once. I guess I can go out with you. I chuckled a little bit when she said I even dated a Republican. (laughs) Just because, like, that was a really big deal. (laughs) And so it was kind of funny. But, yes, in the whole grand scheme of the sentence – why why does all of this matter and like is that a compliment or a diss that she's like I guess I can go out with you like what what is she defining as you in this scenario you know yeah yeah they're attempting to be like flirty or something and I'm like no this is not flirty this is really weird of like she is purposely calling out the fact that Jordan Bonner was a black man versus like oh Jordan Bonner went to Yale that would be an interesting part of the long story that's true. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're making it about, like, like what Jesse's last name is and what it potentially implies. And then, so, because, like, yeah, it's the part that doesn't make sense to me where it's, like, they're trying to make a big deal about the fact that Jesse's last name is Vasquez. And so Andrea is, like, no, 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 it's okay for me to date a man with the last name Vasquez because I've dated a white guy, a black guy, a Republican. So you're next on the list. Like, Oh, I don't get it. Don't forget the part when they first got to the park and he says, happy birthday to that birthday party. That was very clearly a party. And she's like, Oh, do you know them? And he's like, no, I don't know every Latino in LA. It's like, well, okay. Was that the assumption? It was just so weird. And like, It just felt so weird and so awkward. And then, like, you know, to top it all off, I don't – I'm not a huge fan of the, like, I was testing you to make sure that you liked me as a bartender before I told you that I'm going to be a lawyer. Right. Because, like, now, I totally understand the whole, like, if you are a person of means, you don't want a person – you don't want somebody to date you because of your means. Like, totally get that. But, like – I, I don't I don't know that I don't know that you should necessarily go into a relationship being like I just want to make sure you weren't a gold digger like yeah and it it feels like 
he's even acknowledging, which like gives him some a little bit of elitism in my mind, that like she wouldn't just like him because he's a bartender. He has to be more than a bartender, as if like right. there are not legitimate jobs that aren't lawyer and uh, doctor. Well, and also like bartenders make bank. Like if you're a good bartender, you can get a really excellent job and make a lot of money and have like a really good life. Like so it's almost like he's showing his insecurity more than his fear that a, a woman can only like him if he makes money or isn't yeah. a bartender or whatever. So it's like, all right, Jesse, as much as I like spoiler alert, I like him for Andrea or at least did when I first watched this show. Not starting off great. Yeah, it's it's all just really weird. <sighs> okay, what's next? Well, Brandon. Oh, man. <laughs> Brandon wakes up with Emily in her apartment in San Francisco. He's the little spoon. Brandon admits he wasn't there for Emily when she was in the hospital. She's like, it's fine. I didn't need you to be. I had myself <laughs> and my doctors and other people's flowers. Emily took her recovery from her episode seriously and has worked hard to live a healthy and happy life. Brandon pretends he's never tried dim sum as if the team mom on that baseball team never gave him any that time. Brandon tells Emily about all the girls he's been with since they broke up and about how he never told any of them he loved them. He thinks he doesn't know how to love. How sad. Emily says she hopes that isn't true because she loves him. Brandon says he loves her too. After lunch, Brandon and Emily enjoy a lovely montage of San Francisco. They look at some sea lions and then make out. Brandon asks Emily if he should transfer schools to be close to her because, you know, they're in love. At Emily's apartment, Rosie comes over and tells Brandon that Emily was accepted to the Cousteau Institute, a fancy French marine biology school. She's supposed to leave in like three days to follow her dreams. Rosie demands that Brandon not let Emily stay in San Francisco for just him. She's right. Brandon tells Emily he knows about France. Emily says she can't go because she loves Brandon and doesn't want to give him up now that they found each other. They talk more about whether or not she should decide to stay or go. Brandon tells her she should go, just to be sure she doesn't regret missing out on this opportunity in the future. Brandon helps Emily pack all her things. Emily doesn't want to ride in Brandon's shitty yellow car to the airport and gets a shitty yellow taxi instead. She asks Brandon to promise he'll be faithful to himself while she's gone they say they love each other and kiss goodbye they promise to stay in touch and keep the cab driver waiting with their long goodbye emily heads off in the taxi and brandon drives away all sad i have to say one thing to, okay. to just start this do not even try to tell me that the exterior shots of that apartment was not the full house house from exterior it really looked like it. <laughs> like, I have watched Full House more than probably, maybe not today. Like, now that we have streaming services and I've watched Parks and Rec through, like, a hundred times. But I have watched Full House more times than I can count or dare to ever count. And I have seen those exterior shots over and over and over. And that is absolutely DJ and Stephanie's eventually Stephanie and Michelle's eventually just Michelle's room. <laughs> Seriously. 
nothing would make me happier than a crossover. Even if it was just like, <laughs> you remember the uh, New Girl Brooklyn Nine-Nine crossover where like everything about it was Brooklyn Nine-Nine and like this like whole thing. And then they get to the very end of the episode and Coach is walking down the street and is just like, <laughs> you guys are here? Yeah. It's like you guys didn't call me. <laughs> like that's yeah. all I want. It's just like the entire like Tanner clan to just walk past them. Yep. All I want. Or like, you know, Brandon and Emily to be at that dim sum restaurant next to Steve and DJ or something. Oh, man. I really would have loved that. That would have been amazing. Missed opportunities. I mean, you're all in the same lot. You're using the same, like, B-roll. Like, yeah. Just add them in. Just let it happen. Just make me happy. Yep. But no, that's but, not what they do. Yeah. We get, a, we get a dumb montage. Why do we need to pan all the way through Emily's apartment? I don't know. I swear, they, like... They really just needed to fill up time. I genuinely think this was initially supposed to be different episodes, and then they were just like, no, put them all together, and so they had to cut a bunch of stuff and throw a bunch of other stuff in. Probably. Because, like, <laughs> I wasn't totally against that first scene when they wake up, and then Brandon's just like, I never sent you flowers, or visited you, or called you, or did anything, and she's just like, yeah, I know. It's fine. And then, like... I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but, like, I feel like this is just further proof that maybe y'all shouldn't be together. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, she she even talks about backsliding or something later in this episode, and I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Right. Do you see it? Like, that's a hint of the highest degree. Yeah, like, because the thing is, too, is, like, when Brandon's even asking her about, like, oh, did the hospital help, blah, 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 And she's talking about the things that, like, in, in the ways that it helped her. And she talks about, like, now she's on Prozac and blah, blah, blah. So it's, like, very clear that Emily had severe anxiety, depression, and still has, like, all these insecurities and stuff. But the fact that she even talks about backsliding, it's, like, you ha <laughs> Brandon has to remember that, like, the height of when it this was the worst for Emily had a hundred percent to do with Brandon. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. It just, it made me so mad the whole time. I was like, you guys know you shouldn't even be together. And then like, as they, they're talking, so, you know, they have that whole conversation. He makes the comment about dim sum. Then they go to the dim sum restaurant and mm -hmm. putting the camera on the lazy Susan and panning back and forth between them, every single line made me so mad. Whoever made this choice, who, like, who even, do we know who directed this episode? Yes, I looked this up earlier. Um, it's the same guy who did the last one. I think his name is Richard Lang. Like, give me one second to pull it up in my notes. So um, he's done multiple episodes, though. Yeah, so he, on top of this, he did the last episode. He did Radio Days. He did our favorite Christmas episode. Oh, that explains it. I know. As soon as I saw that one, I was just like, oh, okay. I understand. Because I was going to – well, I was going to say, like, the Lazy Susan thing seems very much like this is something somebody in film school thinks will be a really clever shot. <laughs> so, like, they do it 
in that 70s show, you know, when they're all sitting in the circle and smoking, it'll pan around, but it doesn't pan of just like, what girls? Pulls back around. All the girls I dated goes back around. Blah, 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 blah. Goes back around. Rice curd. Like, well, they, they say things. And I think there's still a point because the whole idea is that you're not supposed to, like, the audience is kind of supposed to pick up on it, but not really that they're smoking weed the whole time. Like, there's a point. Yeah. With and they this, do it. There's no point. That's, they do it repeatedly on that 70s show to be like, this is when they're in the circle. When they're doing yes. this, they're 100% stoned and everyone knows it. And this is like the conversation that's happening because they're like, yeah, there is an absolute point to it. This happened for under 10 seconds and then immediately mm -hmm. pulls back out. That's kind of like that whole thing with like the difference of obviously television and movie directing is that you have so many different directors throughout a TV series and you don't usually do concurrent episodes so it's that thing of where you need to keep within the framework of the show so you have the same identity, but then add your own spit, like spin and flair to it. And this was just like a little too much flair, right? Like this was too much to where it's like, oh, this doesn't feel right. This isn't, this doesn't feel natural to the essence of the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The technique called too much attention to itself. Yes. Right. That is the perfect way to put it. Much more yeah, eloquent when... than I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. They pull right back out of it and it was jarring. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's like if you're going to do it, you have to commit to it and like make it a theme throughout the rest of the episode. Maybe that's something that they do with Brandon and Emily the rest of the episode. Not just like do it for like four exchanges of lines and then pull back out. Also, the fact that they had the actor turning the camera, that was a problem. And the fact that the camera didn't need to be turned the first time because Brandon had to turn it back again to grab the thing he just moved away from himself. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was dumb. It was so like distracting. It. No, I didn't if actually had, write down. Yeah, like if they had done it once, I think that would have been interesting and fine. But the fact that they moved it back just fucked the whole thing up. Right. No, I really didn't like it. I didn't either. I actually really didn't like this whole scene because this is when he orders like curd rice or something. And she's like, oh my God, you're so adventurous. And so I looked it up. And if it is what I looked up, it's literally just rice with yogurt. That's what I thought. I thought it was going to be like a rice ball that was just like mixed in with some sort of dairy. Yeah, and he was just like, ugh, it's so bad. <laughs> no, it's nothing. It wouldn't – it would barely taste like anything. It would only taste like the spices in it. It's right. white rice. Right. And yeah. then after they pull out of the, like, back and forth on the Lazy Susan thing is when Brandon decides to tell Emily every single girl he's dated and exactly what was wrong with her. And I feel like what he said about them – says so much about them that he did not give them names he just talked about their flaws yes he yeah and essentially the reasons that they didn't work out were not on brandon but on them when in oh, fact I he is the common denominator no i wrote them all down because at some point she says, like, it sounds like you have a savior complex or something, which is... Oh, no. That's what she should have said. Because I literally wrote down, 
Instead of saying what she should have, he has a savior complex. She says, sounds like you have a thing for wounded birds. That was it. Because, yeah, again, it is on them, not on him. Exactly. Because, yeah, so what he says, and I put the names in there. So I want to be very clear. He did not put the names in there. So there was the Olympic hopeful, Trisha. She liked skating more than she liked me. There was the girl from the beach club, Brooke. She was great until I found out she was a complete bigot. I think he does name Nikki. Yeah. But then he says, she was okay, except I got her on the rebound from an abusive boyfriend. I got Um, her. Ugh. The girl from New York City, Jill. Unfortunately, she had been raped at knife point and lived in New York City. The idea that he threw in, she also lives in New York City, so we couldn't date, and also she was raped. Like, Again, it like it's got to be something to do with the writer because like this is the whole like I'm not racist. I we sleep together or whatever Dan said. Like then this like she this woman that I dated was raped and also by the way she lives in New York City. Like they're not mutually exclusive and have nothing to do with each other. And like them not working out as a pair has nothing to do with her being raped. 100%. Like what fell apart there was the fact that, A, she's significantly older than him, and B, yeah, she did live in New York City, and you decided not to have a long-term, rela- like, a long-distance relationship. All he had to say for Jill was that, and then there's Jill, who lives in New York City, so the distance was going to be too great for us. Yeah. And, like, it just kept going. And then, while they have this whole conversation, I had this flashback to Commencement Part 1 when we had to watch the montage of all of the girls that Brandon had dated and Dylan comes over and is like, which one of them did you care about the most? And he picked Trisha over Emily Valentine. (laughs) And also the idea that he's like, well, she liked skating more than she liked me. Like that was a flaw in their relationship. Like it meant their relationship wasn't going to work out, but I feel like he's saying that like that was a bad thing on her. Yeah. Like, he never wanted to be like, I was threatened by her passion for skating, or I couldn't deal with women having trauma, and so I didn't want to put up with it. It's like, he can't ever say, like, I did something wrong, which, again, Emily should have said, oh, sounds like you have a savior complex. Yeah, because, like, Trisha, it should have been like, I wanted her to throw away her Olympic dreams for me, and she wouldn't. Yep. I should have been an Olympian. (laughs) Do you know my hockey skills? (laughs) Hockey? (laughs) Oh, my God. I just, I can't. I know we're supposed to like Brandon, but, like. I can't. He makes it so hard with his dumb face and his dumb open mouth kissing, and then his personality is bad. His personality is so bad. I, like, stop paying attention to all of their stuff after this when they're, like, walking around and, like, oh, that's Alcatraz, blah, 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 until the point that they're looking at the sea lions and he's, like, what are those seals? He keeps calling them seals. (laughs) And then she says they're not seals, they're sea lions. And he goes, whatever. And then later calls them seals again. (laughs) And, like, at this point, I just, like, had a full meltdown. Because I was just like, 
you know, after this, we find out that Emily has been accepted to the Cousteau Institute to, you know, study marine biology. So, like, this is really important to her that you call them sea lions, not seals, because this is her passion. He's like, whatever, and then makes out with her. He's like forgetting the fact that their relationship was really bad for her mental health. And then the second she was off screen, he checked out of it and yep. like didn't even pick her as like his top high school girlfriend that he cared about. And then I realized <laughs> that it's at least like Monday or Tuesday and Brandon is just straight up skipping college to be with her. Yep. I had like a literal meltdown on my couch. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I just, like, I totally understand what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to show, like, oh, Emily, like, there's, they have this history, like, la, la, la. But it's not consistent. Like, if she was, like, such a big part of his high school, like, formative love relationship years, whatever, then why didn't he, why wasn't she ever referenced except for the fact that she was called crazy over and over and over? I know. Like and then he just admits to her that like he never told any of those women he loves her because he thinks he hasn't been in love. Like, like literally he says maybe I haven't ever been in love or I'm incapable and then 2 seconds later he's like I love you too. That's not good for her mental health? No, I honestly like the more we talk about it I'm getting the feeling that like he's expecting her to tell him all of these. He's like, "Oh, I guess you did go to therapy because you answered my question with a question." I was like, this is weird, and I don't like this dynamic. I don't either. And when Rosie comes over and you find out that Emily has been accepted to go study in France, Mm -hmm. and Brandon hates the country of France so much because of women going to France. (laughs) I just had a moment. I was just like, Brandon, when he heard France, just like felt it in his bones, the envy, because he's never going to get to go. (laughs) He he must have just been like, France, and then flipped a table. (laughs) Like, did he even say when Rosie said, like, she was accepted? Was he even like, wait, did you say France? I don't I don't know that he wasn't like necessarily that way, but like he was very I feel like clear in this scene with Rosie of just like, well, I don't know what she should do. And then Rosie has to be like, if you love her, you'll tell her to go do this thing that's good for her. And I feel like he's just like, well, if she wants to stay with me, I wouldn't say no. Oh, 100 percent. Like he's he never. And that's the that's the thing. He doesn't even really. Like, say anything positive for her going. Like, he says a couple of things, like, early on. But then as soon as she's like, well, no, it's not your decision to make. And I love you. And I just got you back. He's like, oh, okay. He, like, doesn't push anymore. Mm-hmm. No. And I I really hated when, you know, he finds out and they start talking about it. And they, like, I don't know, go on another walk through San Francisco to talk about it. I really hate that he essentially had to talk her into going. Mm -hmm. Like that's where that savior complex keeps coming in. I feel like with, you know, all the strides that she's made with her mental health and with getting herself back into a life that she's like comfortable in, she should have been able to say like, 
I am going to go to France. This is going to be good for me. I'm doing something that I really love. And like you and I found each other after two years. We can do it again. Right. Right. But instead, it's Brandon saying like, no, you have to go. And then, I don't know if anybody caught it, but then quoting Casablanca and saying, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life, you're going to regret this or whatever. And then now it becomes, now the the whole thing goes from be excited for Emily because she's choosing this thing for herself to no, Emily is choosing this because Brandon told her to, so he was able to save her, and now he's sad because he made the ultimate sacrifice. And you know, when he goes back to Beverly Hills and he tells everyone about this, Cindy's just going to be like, I knew she was going to hurt him. Right. Oh, Brandon, I knew that girl was bad news. Like, la, la, la. No, everyone's going to feel so bad for him instead of happy for Emily. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because that's where she's saying, like, she's scared of going to France because she can't go backwards. I'll end up right where I started. And I was like, that's what you're doing right now. That's yeah. literally what's happening right now if you give up all of this to stay with Brandon. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, so she, like, he convinces her that she should still go. So they have to pack up her apartment. And then this is the part where they're like, well, you'll call and I call and we'll visit. And, like, that's never going to happen. Oh, yeah. Brandon promises he'll write and call, but there's no way – if he – no. There's no way he's going to write or call at all. No, and I'm pretty sure – because I've seen pictures of her with, like, a really stupid haircut, and I'm pretty sure that happens later in the show. So, like, I do think we're going to end up seeing Emily again, but I don't think that they have put any effort into actually staying together. Yeah, that's – I feel like – I think I said this last episode, but it, it just felt like – we got Emily because maybe they just – the fans wanted her back or something or they knew that when she was on the show they got good ratings, so let's bring her back and kind of tee up like, oh, well, maybe will they – you know, maybe they'll get back together. Maybe they won't. Tune in to find out. Yeah, I do think like whatever uh, like teasers they had for these episodes were probably – Horribly done, based on the one we've seen. Maybe I'll even try and dig one up. But, like, I bet it would have been exciting to see it, to just be like, oh, my God, Emily Valentine. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I wrote down, which I think is essentially that last scene when she's supposed to be getting into the cab, is when she tells Brandon that he doesn't have to be faithful to her while she's gone. Because she always has to say things for his benefit. Nothing is right. for Emily. Right. It's like, I wouldn't dare expect you, Brandon, love of my life, to ever stay faithful. You're too, uh, I don't know, I can't even fake say you're too good looking and women just want you. Like, I can't even fake say that. Ugh. That's a, It's like making it to be that, like, their love that we have not heard about in two years, that he only talks shit about her if she ever comes up, is so intense that it spans oceans and like if she comes back to california that you know he'll have been faithful to himself and he'll you know he'll come back to her i just i hate it so much and i feel like <laughs> they have not given emily anything that she deserves on this show i totally agree yeah 
actually, I went on the 90210 subreddit this morning and I was just like scrolling through and like, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of activity. Sometimes there's a lot of activity. And this time I just happened to see like several posts about Emily Valentine and people just being like, she was a crazy bitch. I hated her. And I was just like, this is what this show did. Oh my. Like, I just don't think that's fair to her. No. It's absolutely not fair to her because again, like, I think that's the thing. I think if we were watching this show 30 years ago or however many years ago, but like when it was currently on, we would absolutely have the opinion of she's crazy, can't stand her, whatever, because that's what they're telling us. But now in hindsight, as the world has changed, as we as 30 year old women have (laughs) discovered like, no, they kind of blackballed Emily and made her into a character that people take for granted. And and honestly, she should like almost be made to feel sorry for because she has gotten the short end of the stick and she is treated she's treated the way the that the writers intended to, definitely, but not the way that she should have been. So the wildest thing about this whole thing to me is that all of that is completely true. And yet Emily is also a character who has gone through a shit ton of mess in her past and struggles with mental health. And yet she's pulled herself up, went to therapy, got better, and is going to have a really fucking good life without Brandon Walsh in it. And like, I feel like even she knows that deep down of just like, my life was not good with Brandon Walsh. Like, he may have not been the reason I first started taking drugs, but I was taking drugs while I was with Brandon. And then, like, everything fell apart in my life. And, like, you know, she was, like, throwing herself at him, desperate for him to love her back. And it ended up being that, like, final straw that got her to get her life back together. And I feel like she, like, she should understand that. And I just want her to. And, like, Brandon is not the be-all, end-all for any of these people. No. Nor should he be. No, absolutely not. Not listening to the way that he was talked about these girls. Ugh. We just need I, to go ahead and write our fan fiction and make Brandon be with a boy. <laughs> Brandon and Steve deserve each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God. So I'm looking through. And I actually wrote a lot of quotes this week. Okay. But I don't know. I've got a good one because I just hate wrote everything. I sometimes end up doing that <laughs> and have to choose between one of the ones I hate wrote about. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um. Okay. I think... Oh, I think I'm going to have to go with Andrea being like, oh gosh, where to go? I've gone out with white guys, black guys. I even dated a Republican once. I guess I can go out with you. Okay. Mary? I didn't write any down, but I have a translation of something Emily said. Um, (gasps) She was like, I don't like um, goodbyes in airports. They make me feel like I'm in some cheesy movie or whatever. And I was just like, I think that means we don't have the budget for an airport goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very true. Like, yeah, don't don't come with me to the airport. I just really hate saying goodbye to an airport. Okay, we couldn't go there. <laughs> we get a that's taxi funny. goodbye, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my that's gosh. Awesome. Um, and actually, so in full transparency, I did not write it down. Um, and I originally the ones that I wrote down were like either I don't like this or, oh, this sounds weird. I mean, I did write down the Casablanca quote because mostly because I needed to look it up because I was pretty sure it was from something else. Sure enough, Casablanca. But, and I don't even remember the full quote, but it was when Donna ended up saying, well, it's because he's wearing my lipstick <laughs> in reference to Steve. Because, like, I just thought that was cute. And, like, as we were talking about it in the episode, I was like, you know what? That does sound like something, like, me and my friends would actually say. I love Donna. She's such a treasure. That's the thing. It's like I'm surprised that my quotes of the week are not Donna every week because she truly is a gem. She's such a gem. She's an angel. If ever there was one. <laughs> um, yeah. So did you pre-grade the episode? I did not, but I know we kind of talked about potentially grading the this one and the last one together. And I, mm, I don't know, because it's like I didn't hate them, but they just weren't that great. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to think of. Like, I think if you, like, really made me think about it, I hated the Emily storyline. Yeah. Like, that I just hated. But, like, mm -hmm. Thanksgiving was fine. Hell Week was fine. The play was fine. Andrea was, like, really gross. But <laughs> I've just accepted they don't know what to do with her. Like, mm -hmm. whatever. So I think I'm going to give it a D if only Whoa. because there's – It was so bad. Because <laughs> I'm going to give it a D for Emily Valentine only because there's no E in the grading system. Demily Valentine. I get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I was going to – mine's not much better. I think I came up with a C for – Semily Salentine? Yeah, Semily Salentine. Um, or could have been one episode. And, and only because, like, I think they could have easily done all – like, we talked about – all of the Brandon and Emily stuff on its own. And then they could have had Thanksgiving, Hell Week. They could have made Thanksgiving week also be Hell Week and do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday be the Hell Week stuff and then Thursday's Thanksgiving. Yeah, like all the stuff of them like dreading having to go to their own Thanksgivings and everything could have happened up until the play. Mm -hmm. And then at the play, just be like, well, everybody just come to our house and then be done with it. Exactly. Like you like, could easily see that and I think it would have been a lot better. It would have flowed better, that's for sure. Because I have yeah, so I, many like notes in this episode where it's like one sentence, enter, enter, one sentence, enter, enter. Yeah. No, it was giving me absolute whiplash. And so I really think that Brandon and Emily should have been just one episode. But I do wonder like could they not do that because contractually like everybody has to appear in the episodes or something. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. So, yeah, it was meh. Not great. <laughs> Not real excited about it. I just – Well, they just – They keep giving Emily a disservice, and I will stop talking about it. 
No, that's okay. I mean, you're so right, and I totally agree. I mean, I only hope, because I really, truly don't remember, I really hope we get more Emily, if only to, like, end her story better than it's going. Mm -hmm. Um, And I truly don't remember if she comes back or not. I really hope that wasn't the last we see of her. Um, But anyway, that might be the last we see her for now. Because next week, we have... Season 4, episode 14, Windstruck. 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 Hmm. Strange word, windstruck. Yeah, I just feel like that doesn't mean anything to me. I was struck by wind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well... I will say one last thing before we wrap it up. I was I always watch on subtitles now because I have a dog that barks a lot <laughs> when I watch and always. And John Sears kept referring to that asshole keg guy as Keith. But in the subtitles or the closed caption, when it would say who was talking, it said Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> so... I didn't notice that, and I always watch with subtitles. I know. I'm trying to think, too. Of just like, I guess I just saw Keith, and I was just like, okay, I get it. His name's Keith. Move on. I never saw Keith in the written word um, <laughs> on the subtitles. I just heard Keith and then saw Ryan. So I'm like, maybe one of them is his last name, and they just, like, refer to him. He's got, like, a, a two-first-name name, and I don't know. But just wanted to point that out. <laughs> we'll never know. Unless maybe it's next episode and we learn there's maybe, also maybe a Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, maybe. They've just been calling him Keith to fuck with everyone and then his name is really Ryan so that he can yell at everyone. Right. <laughs> that would actually kind of be funny. Oh, yeah. I guess next episode is going to have to deal with the fallout of Steve stealing stuff. Right. Oh, all right. We'll get there. Yep. I'm just not excited about Steve getting away out of being in trouble because of his privilege because I'm tired of it but it's also like I don't really want him to be in trouble trouble because I'm sick of the whole Steve gets in trouble and either Steve gets away with it or he's in trouble and it's like he can't ever just not be in trouble yeah no I'm just tired of what they've like done to Steve's character in general that's just where I am yeah well anyway that's for next week and in the meantime all you listeners out there all dozens of you just follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Back to Podcast to check out what we put up on social media. Yeah, and you can send us emails at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to open up your favorite podcast app wherever we are, which is on all the apps, and leave us a review or share, like, subscribe, whatever the action there is. Do it. And if you do review us, then we'll shout you out and we'll we'll tell you what you read or what you we'll read what you wrote on one of our episodes. That was a great way to say that. <laughs> um and don't base your rating on the sentence I just said, but base your rating on what you really think about the show in general. Um five stars would be wonderful, but be honest. Yeah, we really appreciate your honesty. So uh we will talk to y'all next week and from all of us at Back to Podcast I'm Trisha. I'm Nikki. 
I am much older than the character I play. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. See ya.